Hi, everyone. I'm Amna Navaz. Welcome to Uncomfortable. The goal here is to have honest and in-depth conversations about some of the things that seem to be dividing and riling America right now. And in studio today, I am really pleased to say Dr. Deepak Chopra is here with us. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Chopra. Thank you for having me, Amna. It's not even worth going through your entire bio, of course. Everyone knows that you are a global thinker and a leader when it comes to wellness, um, alternative and integrated medicine. And uh, it, it's just such a pleasure to have you Thank here. You. You, we should Thank also you. mention you have a new book out mm-hmm. called Home. It is a collection of songs and poems inspired by American immigrants. And I want to hear, because we always like to hear people's stories to kick things off, a little bit about your story. I know you were born in New Delhi, India. You came to the States when uh, in 1970. But tell me a little bit about growing up, about what your childhood was like. I grew up um, in various places in India. My father was an army doctor, first in the British Army, and then afterwards in the Indian Army, after independence. Oh, wow, okay. So we traveled all over the country. I went to Irish Christian missionary schools because they were supposed to be the good good schools where right. you got the best education. So my teachers were all Irish. My friends were, of course, um, um, multi-racial uh, and multi-ethnic. We had uh, Muslim friends, Hindu friends, Parsi friends. And so we. it was great because every day was a holiday. Somebody or the other was having a <laughs> national, religious holiday. A day off from a school. A day off from school. <laughs> so uh, it was a great environment to grow up in. I was interested in uh, going into journalism and uh, in writing mostly. My father, of course, wanted me to be a physician because he was a physician. And so on my 14th birthday, he gave me these amazing books, uh, which were great stories, but they were about physicians. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? This fascinates me about you because I I never knew this. What made you want to be... A journalist, which, by the way, I highly recommend as a life choice, sure. but clearly things worked out better for you. It's just that in school, I had a friend, and he was an amazing writer. He'd you know, write the most extraordinary stories. Mm-hmm. He would take anything and turn it into a story. So I admired him. I wanted to be like him, you know, when you're 10. You want to be like your friends, yeah. of course. What also struck me about the time in which you grew up was this was uh, post-partition. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, was a time of incredible upheaval and violence in a lot of ways. Did you ever experience any of that? Did any of that inform your childhood or your worldview? Well, you know, my parents, uh, my father particularly, came from what was then Rawalpindi, oh, which is Pakistan. Which is now Pakistan. And my mother was born in Lahore. So they had oh. very fond memories of, uh, you know, uh, Pakistan. And, of course. And where they grew up. And there were lots of stories that were told about, you know, all the violence that occurred, but also the friendships that endured despite all the violence that occurred. So there were Muslim families saving Hindu families and vice versa, mm-hmm. Hindu families saving Muslim families. Um, but um, it was definitely a turbulent time. And actually one of the... Um, One of the things that the British did all over the world, divvy up the land just 
arbitrarily and drawing the lines on the draw map. the lines whether yeah. it's in the Middle East or wherever you uh, when you came to the States and pursued a career in medicine you've talked about this widely but you said you became disenchanted over time with the reliance upon pharmaceuticals with some of what seemed to be and tell me if I'm getting this wrong sort of a fear-based approach to medicine that people were scared about doing the wrong thing, and so sometimes the best thing wasn't done. Am I accurately capturing that? Partly. You know, my training was in internal medicine Mm -hmm. and then endocrinology, which is the study of hormones. And then I did neuroendocrinology, which is uh, brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. And there were two things happening during that period in time. One was that uh, we were looking at the biochemical substrates of emotions. Mm -hmm. We all knew and still know that when people are stressed, when they're in fear, when they feel anger or hostility, or they have resentments and grievances and they're depressed, that their body's uh, inflamed at every level mind, brain, biology, you can actually measure the inflammation in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can also see the hormones that go awry, so to speak, that are out of control, adrenaline, cortisol, which weakens the immune system. Mm -hmm. This has been known for 100 years. But when I was training, we were also discovering these other molecules and recognizing their significance. Serotonin, which is an antidepressant, Mm -hmm. opiates, uh, endorphins that make you feel intoxicated, Um, things like uh, oxytocin that goes up when you fall in love, and on and on. Now there's a new peptide identified as anandamide, which is the peptide or protein that goes with the experience of being blissed out. Oh, uh, really? happy. Okay. Yes, so... I was realizing that there was a biochemical basis for emotions influencing our biology, that we were focused on stress when actually we never uh, realized that the opposite of stress, which is being easy, having lightness of being, having love or compassion Mm -hmm. in your life or empathy or joy actually changes your biology. So I was really criticized for this, but um, in the beginning, Because I was saying that, uh, you know, you need to look at patients not just as physical machines or robots, biological robots, but need to understand what's going on in their lives, whether it's in their emotional life, in their personal relationships, other habits like sleep, stress management, Mm -hmm. exercise, breathing, uh, nutrition, relationships, um, the, the whole ecosystem of health. And What's now called a holistic words, approach, yeah. right? And the word didn't health exist comes then. from the word wholeness, by the way. Wholeness, health, healing, holistic, they're the same word. Mm-hmm. You include everything. So people were not accepting what I was saying at that moment. I tried to write it up in medical journals. It wasn't accepted. I finally published my own books, and that took off, you mm-hmm. know, even though um, it was... Uh, intuitive at that time for me that you could have two patients who received the same treatment, they had the same diagnosis, they saw the same physician, but they had completely different outcomes. One could recover completely, the other person could die. So I realized that you can't treat human beings like physical machines. 
And uh, that was my foray then into this other world, which um, now is validated through things like uh, neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. There's not a single experience that you have, including people who are listening to us. You know, their brains are responding to this conversation right now. Mm -hmm. And you can actually, if you did a... MRI or whatever, you, you could track, see which right. um, part of the brain right. is being tracked. So your brain is plastic. It responds to every experience. What we didn't know, and we know now, even your genes are plastic. So we have 23,000 human genes. We have 2 million bacterial genes. They're called the microbiome. Mm -hmm. And they respond to every experience you have, whether it's an emotional experience, a relationship, the food you eat, the quality of your sleep, the quality of your life is reflected in your biology. Only 5% of disease-related gene mutations, so mutations are like genetic right. mistakes, only 5% are fully penetrant in that they predict the disease with 100% accuracy. 95% of disease-related gene mutations mm -hmm. are influenced by the quality of our life. Well, this world has clearly emerged over the course of your work, and you have largely helped to define and build it with your books, with happened, all your work. It's, I think it's accurate. But I do want to be clear about this because I think in a lot of the conversations about uh, um, whether you call it alternative or um, integrated integrated medicine, a holistic mm -hmm. approach to wellness and well-being, you're not advocating for a rejection of Western medicine. No, but I am saying that, you know, acute illness, you need what we call pharmaceutical surgical intervention, acute illness. Mm -hmm. If you have pneumonia, you need an antibiotic. Yes. Okay, if you break your leg, you need to see need, an orthopedic yes. surgeon. But... Chronic illness, which is the vast majority of illness, by the way, mm -hmm. things like uh, autoimmune illnesses, um, low-grade inflammation, cardiovascular disease, stroke, hypertension, uh, almost all cancers, um, they have in the background low-grade inflammation. It's the number one marker that somebody is sick. And the risk factors for low-grade inflammation, which lead to all these chronic diseases, by the way, are the same. So if you look at the risk factors for heart disease, they're the same for type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. They're the same for metabolic syndrome. They're the same for cancer, etc., etc. But you would advocate for that inflammation to be addressed with a more holistic approach in yes. complement to Western treatment. Is that yeah, right? Yes, in complement to. But, you know, when I was in training, we never spoke about uh, um, reversal of disease. Are you Never even didn't think it was possible. Mm -hmm. Now we know that coronary artery disease is reversible. Right. We know that many types of bronchial asthma are reversible, that you can treat inflammatory bowel disease in a way that leads to reversibility. Mm -hmm. um, that actually the future today is total integration, which means very precise, very um, personalized, mm -hmm very targeted, preventable, participatory. So when you use modern medicine very judiciously, selectively, then the integrative therapies are, of course, very effective. If you only use uh, these drugs um, and don't address the other issues, which are the underlying factors in causing the chronic disease, mm -hmm. 
you might actually exacerbate the whole disease. So, you know, the number one cause of infections today is antibiotic-resistant infections. The number one cause... You're saying that just using the Western approach could actually make it worse yes. in the long run. Yes, if you don't un- un- understand the underlying causes. And if it's not addressed at some point, are, yeah. whether in treatment you know, or I don't think most people are aware that if they get a bypass and if they have stable angina, their mortality is not changed by even 1%. Mm. Uh, unless they change the lifestyle. Yes. And uh, if they don't, they're going to have uh, occlusion again in six months to a year. Well, let me ask you that. I mean, one of the reasons you have come to be so well known is that people who themselves had big platforms saw truth in what you were saying. Um, and you've uh, worked alongside and, and had relationships with um, Oprah Winfrey and Madonna and Michael Jackson. And so why do you think that that level of celebrity, that those kinds of peoples were drawn to the work that you were doing and to your message? I think people who live um, lives that are um, exposed to the public eye, celebrities, icons in culture, Mm -hmm. they have a high degree of insecurity. They're, you know, they're only as good as the last hit or the last movie or the last song, right? which has two kinds of um, effects. One is it is um, it drives them to constantly perform um, even better than the last time. Mm. But it also is a, a, a cause of a lot of fear and stress. So they recognize the um, the um, biological effects of having what many artists call a tortured soul, and it's it's both the driver of their success, mm-hmm. but it's also the cause of a lot of havoc in their lives. You know, they succumb to addiction, and it's the history of celebrities right. and especially icons and major celebrities. So. Um, they understood very early on what I was talking about. Because they found that it actually helped. Yeah, it did actually it work. It was to their something. life, yeah, their life. One of the things it also did, it, over the course of sort of the conversation and the emergence of a wellness space, mm-hmm. is sort of give it the, sort of like a patina of luxury. That if you could afford to occupy this space and benefit from the lessons that you were teaching, th- then, then you could do it that it's not really accessible to everyday Americans. Yeah, but, and, you know, we are now again in a different era. We have the Internet and we have podcasts like this. We have online meditations. Everybody, you know, people used to, I used to meet people on the street and they say, I love your books. Mm-hmm. Now they say, I love your uh, Facebook Live or YouTube right. or whatever. Yeah. And I listen, even I entered your space this morning and everybody told me that they were listening to my audibles. <laughs> so it's a different era right now. What we, Everything is number one global. Right. And everything is easily accessible. We've taught six million people meditation online, mm-hmm. uh, which is unbelievable. You know, how would you, you would think that things that were available to only a select few in the world are now available to almost everyone. It's not, you don't need, you need knowledge more than anything else. What makes for a good sleep? What is emotional, social intelligence? Mm-hmm. How do you, um, uh, 
uh, introduce mind-body coordination into your lifestyle? How do you uh, eat healthy food? Uh, how do you manage your personal relationships? Believe it or not, all that affects everything that's happening in your body right in this moment is affected by almost every experience you have. Every experience gets metabolized into a molecule in your body. At the same time, all the many ways in which those millions of people are hearing you and and adhering to your message, podcasts and Facebook Lives and all, those rely on products. People have to have, they have to be able to buy an Audible story. They have to be able to purchase your book. They have to be able to have access to one of your clinics or centers for well-being. And it strikes me that the things that you are advocating for, wellness and and inner peace and just a holistic approach, those are the things that are most needed by some of the most vulnerable people in society who don't necessarily have access to those lessons. I think um, you're right. And at the same time, it's very different today than 30 years ago. Now, I do uh, daily live uh, podcast too, mm-hmm. and um, I'm seeing messages from Albania, from Pakistan, from India, from Hong Kong, from Calcutta. Mm-hmm. So we have a global reach right now that is influencing uh, people's behavior. Also, since um, the last uh, five ten years, medical schools and medical students have now are getting training. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm a professor at UCSD Medical School in California. We have medical students coming through us. The new doctors are being trained in uh, integrative medicine. I think you're going to see this as the norm everywhere. It's becoming more and more mainstream. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, what we're talking about here is really healthcare. Right, we're talking about people being able to take right care now, of their health. We don't health. have healthcare. We have insurance, or lack of insurance. They right. call it health reform. Yes, so it has nothing to do with health. Well, so this is part of the problem, though, right? Yeah. And I'm from the perspective of people who are just day to day, wholly consumed with getting food on the table and making the next mortgage payment, who don't have time to meditate or get more than five or six hours of sleep. How does this message help them? the people who probably need it most. Amna, if you are inflamed and your body is inflamed, you can't do anything properly. You can't do effective work. Your relationships and personal relationships get messed, messed up. You're more likely to have addictive behavior. You're more likely to um, disrupt uh, the workplace and be disengaged. Mm -hmm. So they're all connected. Your personal well-being, your career well-being, the well-being of a community, social well-being, and even financial well-being are inseparable. We've divided these things uh, artificially. I am a consultant and uh, a board member of Gallup, Mm -hmm. and we do um, lots of data collection. So when asked, when people are asked, what's the most important thing in your life, they frequently say money, that, you know, that, that they're struggling with their finances. And then when you go deeper into it, you realize that actually they could easily, if they had basic finances, you know, which means they had insurance, they had retirement, and they were being paid uh, proportionate to 
you the know, their that skills, they're doing. the work mm-hmm. that they're doing, that money doesn't make them actually healthier or happier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want meaning and purpose in their life. They want to belong to a safe community. They want to... But even uh, those, I apologize for interrupting, even those three factors you just listed, mm-hmm. even those are not the norm for They're many not the Americans. Norm because why? Because we as a society, we as a society, a global culture, have created this mess that we're in right now. You know, we have 50% of the world still living on less than $2 a day. Mm -hmm. We have uh, racism and bigotry and ethnocentrism everywhere in the world, not just in America. Mm -hmm. We have extreme national violence. We have greedy people who want to make all the money for themselves. You know, so social injustice, economic injustice, climate change, and the way we think are all inseparably woven into each other. Mm -hmm. So we, if we want a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, happier, joyful world, we have to take collective responsibility to change that. Because right now we have a situation where, as I say very frequently, we are living with medieval, medieval ideologies, you know, I personally think that uh, if we continue that kind of behavior with the modern capacities we have, the technological capacities for destruction we have, we're going to risk our extinction. You know, if it's not climate change, it'll be something else, you know, cyber terrorism or something like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, many people actually who study this, they say that we might be facing the next human extinction. Mm -hmm. The last extinction was 65 million years ago when a meteorite fell on planet Earth and dinosaurs were wiped out and out of that extinction, humans emerged. Mm -hmm. But if humans now risk their own extinction, the planet will go on. Something else will emerge. And, you know, nature might just be saying that Uh, The human species was a good experiment, but it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So right now we have the technology, believe it or not, to destroy the world, but we also have the technology to harness the creativity of the world. And there is a lot of it. You know, when people, when you have groups of people um, that come from different disciplines, um, where there is maximum diversity of thought processes, where there's uh, an open and transparent system, mm-hmm. open space, and when there's shared vision and, uh, and there's some kind of emotional connection between these people, then there's a phenomenon called emergence that happens, which means something creative happens that never existed before. So we have to collectively, whether it's through media or whether it's through journalism, or whether it's through social networks, or through entertainment, or through music, or through street poetry, or theater, educational institutions, if you get them all together, everything is reversible right now. But soon it will be too late. I mean, we're still denying climate change with all the disasters that have occurred in the last few weeks everywhere. You, right. know, you read about Mexico and Puerto Rico and no, Florida. It's still very much a debate instead of a conversation yeah, leading towards a shared mission. There's still what's happening in Bangladesh. It doesn't even get covered in the news. You know? Well, let me put a finer point on this because the, the you talk about collective responsibility and you have um, pillars for well-being, mm-hmm. right? You, and two of them... 
uh, well, the most important, you say, is sleep, mm-hmm. which seems basic enough, right? Uh, nutrition is another. When you think about how people are living these days, how much they're working, how little sleep they're getting, how we know all of these things are related to well-being, if they want sort of an entry point to the things that you're talking about, how do they physically put that into action? That's, that's feasible in their day-to-day Let lives. Let me share with you something, which is a real-life story. About five years ago, I was invited by a woman uh, here in New York to go to Queens and uh, a neighborhood that had the highest murder rate in this whole area, mm-hmm. one of the highest murder rates in the country and uh, particularly among teenagers and gang violence and drug dealers. Mm -hmm. I started volunteering there with a couple of other people. We taught people how to engage in a little bit of self-reflection. We taught them very basic breathing techniques, yoga techniques. This was in sort of an open seminar and sessions? Yeah, sessions. Mm -hmm. And now those kids are actually gainfully employed. Some of them are producing hip-hop albums. Some are yoga teachers. And they become leaders in their society, and the crime rate has gone down by 95% in this very violent neighborhood. What neighborhood was this? In Queens. Queens, right here in New York. It's gone 95% since you went to talk to them? It's not just me. We're now working with the commissioner there. We're working with the police there. Mm -hmm. We're working with all the neighborhood schools there. and yesterday we celebrated actually, um, or because yesterday was International Peace Day, we mm-hmm. said, if we can bring peace to uh, Queens, change the demographic, next stop Chicago. But it should be everywhere in the world. But do they pin that hmm? to the time that you came to talk to them as oh, a turning yeah, point the, for them? Are, that was what opened yeah, the door the, for all those kids, kids? They call themselves the urban yogis. You can go on YouTube and look at their... The urban uh, yogis. The urban yogis. You can look at their YouTube music channels and so all the other things that they're doing. So amazing. that kind of impact, are you mm. doing that more? I am working with other nonprofit groups to do that more, yes. And also I have a foundation, mm-hmm. a nonprofit foundation, where the only, only goal right now is to study inflammation. Because I realize that, you know, we see so much violence in the world and we call it a criminal issue, right? We think terrorism, war, right. these are, we take them even for the norm. It's part of our society. But violence is a disease. Violence is a public health issue. If you have domestic violence, which is huge, by the way, mm-hmm. totally un- underestimated. The gun violence that we see in our inner cities, it's a result of domestic violence either against women or against children in the home. So the roots of violence start very early in life, even sometimes in utero. Mm -hmm. And if you look at violent people, now we can actually see that their bodies are inflamed, their brains are inflamed. I would love to look at the brains of some of our global leaders because I bet you they're inflamed. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the future of humanity depends on these global leaders who act like belligerent eight-year-old, uh, you know, emotionally handicapped people and they're risking the extinction of our planet. I think we should get an MRI and 
uh, treat their inflammation. Or maybe you should be doing more sessions for world leaders. Maybe that's the way to come you at know, it. I have but done <laughs> sessions with world leaders, Nobel Peace Laureates. Really? A lot of that in Latin America and mm-hmm. Colombia. I was involved in one of the amnesty programs for gorillas in Cali. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, you saw the Colombian president got the Nobel Prize for negotiating the peace treaty. That's right. I just met his family. Yeah, we're going to work more in Colombia to create a culture of peace there. Costa Rica, it's happening. So there are pockets in the world where this is happening. But let me ask you this, because this is all part of, and you may disagree with this term, but the self-help industry, right? The term industry is used. First of all, do you agree with that as just a as a personal, place to start? Personal transformation. Personal transformation. The word. Okay. Because okay. self-help is usually associated a lot with new age uh, wishy-washy thinking and, you know, be positive and all will be well. No, you have to be realistic. You have to address the issues and then you have to find, find creative solutions. So I would say creativity and personal transformation is much more beyond self-help. So, but to that point of being creative about it, you've obviously branched out into all these other efforts, the urban yogis and international efforts and so on. Those people, those young kids who have now become aware of this They're practice. Leaders. They were actually, they were the, they were, they were ridiculed in the beginning. Right. You know, people called them all kinds of names. You're, you're a mamby pamby, you're gay. Because they adhered to this. this. you that. Now these kids are the leaders of their communities. And how do we know that, how do we ensure that they'll stick to that? Because the biggest, the question for me remains, they're going to grow up into a system where that is not the norm. And then they will absorb the same pressures that their parents probably have before them. Everyone in their community has. They may need to work two jobs to make ends meet. They may not be able to get the sleep and the access to the good food that you say they need. These kids, by the way, they're growing their own fruit and vegetables in window gardens outside their... So they're creating their own system. They're creating their own system. They're creating their own music. They're creating their own culture. And ultimately, that's what society is. It's an expression of collective consciousness. But So that's the answer. They have to build it themselves. You have to build it yourself. You can't depend on uh, emotionally handicapped leaders. Let me ask you this, too, because another part of the message, uh, your core message, is that the idea that reliance on a material world complicates that search for peace and happiness. And I'm not the first person to point out, I'm sure, you have had a very successful career. You lead a very comfortable life. And that's a very easy message to deliver when you live in a multi-million dollar home and drive around in luxury cars. I don't drive, by the way. Okay, you don't drive. (laughs) I take the subway. (laughs) I take the subway. You want to see my subway card? I have it in my pocket. You, I, I don't need to see it for proof, but if you'd like to bring it out, we can show it to the camera. You do, however, count Leonardo DiCaprio as one of your neighbors. You, you are I able do. to lead a very you comfortable life. Is, I'm I curious about the message. On that, by the way, I never focused on that. I just did what I did, and then it came. You know, now I... In America, you don't need to apologize. There is the Metro card. For for listeners who can't see it, Dr. Chopra is holding up his very valid Metro card. Yeah, that's all I Thank you for showing that. Um, So, uh, (laughs) I had a mantra all my life, Mm. and that was, pursue excellence, ignore success. 
And it worked. You know, so I, I, in America, you should never have to apologize for being successful. Of course not. Right? So while people are uh, making money by selling guns and drugs and mechanized debt, even our country makes, this country makes its money from weapons of uh, mechanized debt, mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood, cigarettes, drugs, and pharmaceuticals. I'm helping people, and if it uh, leads to success, why not? And then I can do all the nonprofit that I do. But you have a product. Your product is health. Your product, product is wellness. is well-being, yeah. Well-being. Yes. And that is a lucrative industry in America and a place where people are more stressed and than ever. And I have ever. to say I pioneered it, didn't we? <laughs> yes. So where does it go from here? What's next? You seem to be talking about all these things that are catching on, where this conversation is going at the same time, we have an enormous and very real healthcare debate going on mm-hmm. with people who lack access to the most basic of services. So, what I did a month ago, you know, I go every year for a week of silence mm-hmm. where I disengage from the world. And this, where do you go? Asilomar in California. It's a nice little retreat center. And this uh, year, I came back with three things to do for the rest of my life. Just with three mm-hmm. things that I want to do with the rest of my life. Not necessarily in order of preference, but these are the only three things I'm going to focus on. Okay. Number one is my personal, my personal. Uh, goal of finding the answer to who I am beyond my body, mind, and personality, and all the imposed uh, imposed um, uh, identities that I have. You know, what's the essence of my being? Uh, what Eastern traditions call self-realization. Mm-hmm. So that's one goal. The second goal is um, to take on inflammation as the number one epidemic, pandemic, and disease of our time that leads to not only chronic illness, but to leads to social illness, to war, to terrorism. You know, it's very easy to say this so-and-so is a terrorist, kill him. Um, but it's like Medusa's head. Every time you kill a terrorist, you get two more. Mm-hmm. Okay, If you don't understand the context in which violence is born, you're never going to solve it. So I personally now I'm convinced that uh, once we address inflammation and the causes of inflammation, this is a very global effort. So I'm actually consulting with people like Boston Consulting and all the leaders in this field in the world Mm -hmm. to address once and for all, and won't happen in my lifetime, but if we can sow the seeds of understanding of an inflamed world that has led to social and economic injustice, eco-destruction, climate change, war, terrorism, malnutrition, lack of education, and the recycling of this violence for thousands of years, then, you know, we don't acknowledge this. We are declaring our insanity. But when you say you're tackling that, is that through policy? Is that through healthcare? Everything education? From, uh, education? How does that happen? Public awareness, education, working with the United Nations, working with uh, nonprofit institutions all over the world, working with the global leaders, working with scientists. So it has many levels. It's uh, education, uh, 
it's teaching going at a deep level in schools and um, beginning with education of children education of families you're it's talking a, about fundamentally changing the way we see ourselves um so, yes and i'm is that to, realistic well i'm sowing the seeds for it and i'm getting a lot of support you know i meet politicians uh, even in our country in this country congressmen and senators mm-hmm. i've gone to congress and talked about it and i'm talking with scientists i'm also way, seeing ways of how we can measure this and the impact our queen's experiment was just a little community but it's a significant experiment mm-hmm. can we not do these experiments globally and change the way people think the way people future leaders mm-hmm. you know i've given up on the leaders of my generation you've say, you've lost hope I think change will happen uh, when one funeral at a time. Uh, so if we that may up, be the darkest thing I've heard Deepak yeah, Chopra say. Yeah, but <laughs> it'll happen. It'll happen one funeral at a time, but it'll happen. So that's the second thing I'm going to focus on. Okay. And the third thing I'm going to focus on is I'm going to totally streamline the business that I've engaged in and give it to other people to run and disengage because and then what will you do what i just told you personal you'll, transformation you'll. for myself uh, enlightenment and helping change the world just that just that in you that you have to reach beyond what people dream otherwise what's a dream for right you have been very deliberately wading into some of very real issues here in the states too you've weighed in on daca uh, and the president's potential end of that program. Um, you've talked about President Trump and your feelings towards the current political climate. Are we going to see more of that in the future? Yes, but in a less uh, strident manner than some of my uh, involvement before. Here. Why is that? Um, first of all, it doesn't lead to anything. You know, the more um, you are polarized in your views, it actually leads to even more polarization so i was very dismayed by the political climate and what happened mm-hmm. uh, but then i realized that actually in a way it did bring out the ugliness and the darkness in our collective psyche right up to the surface right, right? to the surface so we are facing it now and what are we going to do about it and if we actually are strident about it and angry about it then that defeats the it, it overshadows the creative process altogether so i'm going to engage but more creatively and less uh, with um, the angry uh, rhetoric that i actually participated in to some extent well that is why we're here that yeah. is why we have this podcast these That's conversations right. and that is why we are so grateful that you took the time to participate. Well, thank you. Thank so you very thank much. you so much for being here Dr. Thank Deepak you for Chopra. Me we should that. mention again your new book Home. Yes. Uh, where everyone is welcome a collection of poems and songs inspired by immigrants is out now and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Uncomfortable. If you like what we're doing, take a minute, leave us a rating and a quick review. It helps others to find these conversations and we really just want to hear what you think. Plus, we've made it easy. Just click on the link in the description of this episode. If you have an idea for a show topic or a guest, leave it in the reviews or tweet at me, at Navazistan. That's N-A-W-A-Z-I-S-T-A-N, or use the hashtag UncomfortableTalk. 
Uncomfortable is a production of ABC News. New episodes post every two weeks on Tuesday mornings. I'm Amna Nawaz. Thanks for listening.